just to give you a couple of examples of what kinds of things we might expect you to understand, some of them are like experiment design. How do I properly set up and design an experiment to test a hypothesis that I have? Another HC might be you know, your ability to have an open mind and evaluate arguments with an open mind. So they span you know, a, a whole host of things, but um, it, unlike other places where if you graduated from that place, you might wonder, well, what did a person learn who came here and have no idea, even looking at their transcript? When you graduate from Minerva, you should have a pretty good idea of exactly what somebody knows. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Track driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. If you would like to support this show and help episodes like this keep coming out, please check out the Patreon page for the show, which is located at patreon.com slash half hour intern. There you can support the show on a per episode basis and, uh, and help episodes like this keep on coming out for everyone to enjoy and to learn from. A very exciting thing is coming up, you guys. We are almost in December, which means it is almost time for the 2016 Half Hour Intern Awards. That is where we give out some really cool awards for the best, most interesting, uh, most whatever. There's like weird categories as well for awards, uh, episodes that have occurred throughout the year of 2016. So I will be putting up this week on the Half Hour Intern website a, a voting page for the different categories where you guys can actually vote who you think should win um, in whatever the given category is. So there will be a big link on the homepage of Half Hour Intern to be able to vote for these categories. I would love it if as many of you guys voted as possible so we can have a very democratic process here and award the people that should definitely be getting these awards. So check out the Half Hour Intern site um, and these the voting will be open for the next few weeks until the uh, probably the first or second week of December or something like that. I will give you guys more info about that as I know the exact dates. Um, on to today's episode. So today's episode is so unique and interesting to me. I uh, I met this gentleman, Lawrence Favreau, at a dinner with a friend a month or two ago and uh, was just asking him about what he did for a living. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm a manager at this independent university, like this, this kind of like new startup college university. And he explained the university to me and they have students from all over the world and um, they fir- do the first year in San Francisco And after that, every single semester, the students go to a different city in a different country in the world. So they have this like global classroom approach and most of the classes are done online, but then they work within the cities to do different things in those cities that they like really take advantage of the unique offerings of a particular city to um, really like instill some of these lessons that the kids are getting in the classes. Um, So like, for instance, in San Francisco, they can work with startup companies because startup culture is such a big thing there. Um, And they really want to make sure that the kids at their university are getting um, 
these these like core skills rather than just having knowledge about how to approach business it's like yes but can you actually apply that thing with actual startups here in san francisco or if they uh, are doing something historically and uh in their second year they're in berlin well then we're going to go out into berlin and, and apply this history lesson and um it's just there's so many other interesting things that this university does and they're really trying to forward education and take what we now know is working and what is not working in the education system and uh, and really trying to revamp the whole university experience. And it's so cool sounding. And um, I w- wish so bad I could go back in time and, uh, and go to school at this university. It sounds so awesome. And if any of you guys are of high school age or in your early 20s or something and looking at where you want to go to school, I would strongly suggest looking at Minerva. And I'm sure um, you will be very interested after learning more about it in this interview. View. So without further ado, here is Independent University Manager. Lawrence, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I think so that we can even talk about any of the plethora of questions that I have, you first have to do a better job of explaining the university to us. I'm sure in the intro just now, I tried to explain a little bit about the university. It was probably a really bad job that I did. So if you could tell us about your university and what makes it very, very different from traditional universities out there. Sure. So Minerva is, um, I guess there are a couple of major differences that, that people would notice. The first one, the one that sticks out the most is that as a part of Minerva, you travel all around the world. So you start off in San Francisco and then every semester thereafter, you spend it in a different city around the world. So the rotation changes and potentially the cities even change a little bit. But I think right now our current rotation is after starting in San Francisco, you would go to uh, Berlin, Germany, Buenos Aires, Argentina uh, in your second year. And then in your third year, go to Hyderabad, India and um, Taipei, Taiwan. And then in your last year, you go to London and I actually forget what the other city is. Yeah, um, I, feel, I feel like you would have to almost come back to San Francisco for the graduation or something, you know? <laughs> well, there is a plan to have the, the students come back to, uh, to San Francisco for, um, for graduation. So that's, that's kind of a cool thing. But separate from that would be out after their, their final semester. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the other, the other sort of the part that's maybe less well known and the, the part that I think is actually in some ways potentially more interesting than that is that the curriculum and pedagogy of Minerva are completely different. So there are no lectures whatsoever. It's all active learning, uh, seminar-based learning, and we facilitate that through our own platform. So it's kind of like a really fancy version of Google Hangouts uh, where everybody is on the call together with a professor and you're on the entire time in the class. Like everybody's in the front row of the class. So it's a completely different learning experience. You actually get an amazing experience being in the class versus just hanging out in the back of a lecture hall while the professor drones on up front. So, so it sounds like you're saying maybe there's a little bit almost more of interaction than than less. Like you're not just viewing a teacher talking about something. You're really participating in what's in any given class that's taking place. You're you're totally on the hook. Yeah, it's completely different from yeah, imagine uh, imagine really just being in in a seminar experience where you're having a discussion with everyone. Everyone's visible. Everyone's expected to participate. You're actually graded on participation. So, um, just a very different experience than yeah. than your standard um, your standard class uh, in college. And the other part of that is that the curriculum is also very different. So, unlike most universities, where it's more like a buffet, where 
yes, there's sort of a really rough curriculum. Maybe there's sort of a general ed requirement or something like that. You're expected to go through sort of a core set of what we call habits of mind and foundational concepts. And these are sort of the core things we want you to take away from your university experience and education by the time you're done. And so you're graded on these your entire four years, and we expect you to have a mastery of these things by the time you're done. Um, just to give you a couple of examples of what kinds of things we might expect you to understand, some of them are like experiment design. How do I properly set up and design an experiment to test a hypothesis that I have? Another HC might be you know, your ability to have an open mind and evaluate arguments with an open mind. So they span, you know, a, a whole host of things. But um, it, unlike other places where if you graduated from that place, you might wonder, well, what did a person learn who came here and have no idea, even looking at their transcript? When you graduate from Minerva, you should have a pretty good idea of exactly what somebody knows. So, much, man, it's just so awesome. Um like it, this just makes me think back to when I was in college, um, the the whole setup that we had for our general education classes for the first two years of college um, where you had to pick a uh, what was in like the individualities course studies, which was uh, like philosophical in nature. And then there was like a sciences and then there was like a historical and, and stuff like that. But so you could like I want to say like one semester it's like I was taking linguistics I was taking history of jazz I was you know it's like and none of these th like I mean they were all really fun to learn about but the 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 idea of a core competency the idea of coming out of that class and having any sort of skill because of it other than just some interesting new facts in my head it doesn't seem like was part of the plan and certainly there was nothing that I could tie from one class to another like there was no way that I was ever going to tie any lesson from my linguistics class into a lesson or be able to use it in any way in my history of jazz class. Um, the fact that you guys are doing everything kind of as a, as a whole and kind of watching over everything and having these core competencies, I feel like is so, so smart because like you said, it really eliminates that finishing up a year or finishing up an entire freaking degree <laughs> that you just paid tens of thousands of dollars for and being like, what exactly do I know now? Like what skill do I have today that I did not have yesterday? Right. And it seems like what is the role of the university if not to help guide someone through their learning, right? Otherwise, why, why, why are you paying so much to go to a university that just says, well, here's some stuff you could do. Good luck. Figure it out, right? Even within your major, it's often a challenge to sort of figure out how you might tie these different pieces together. Uh, and it just seems a little odd that, that that work isn't done. Like that work should be done, right, by the university. That's kind of their whole thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny. It almost makes me think of like a almost like a hybrid between a traditional uh university class and then being trained uh for a particular skill. Like if if you went to trade school of some sort. Like when you go to a trade school, you are literally paying for the skill. You know, it's like I'm going to give you this money and when I come out, I know that I'm going to know exactly how to cut hair or I know that I'm going to know exactly how to fix a car or something like that. Um when you know when people give these other universities tens of thousands of dollars, there's kind of no promise. There's no guarantee. You know, there's no there, and not only is there no promise or guarantee, there's no presumption or assumption of what the hell you're going to be coming out on the other end with. Is it you know again you you might have facts and you might have knowledge, but the idea of a skill 
is is absent. The idea that you are going to have some new skill to offer the world is is totally absent. And like you said, like this is a huge focus for you guys. So how many different skills do you guys have that that you know are expected to be learned over the course of the four years? Um, so that the list is it's a little bit under development since we are just starting out, and it's it's a couple hundred at this point. Uh, but they all fall under four sort of core competencies. Pretty basic stuff like thinking critically, thinking creatively, interacting effectively, and uh, and communicating effectively. So you can think of those four buckets as those are you mentioned. What are you going to come out of Minerva knowing, or what you know you would expect that you would be able to tell somebody upon graduation from college? You should know these things. Um, this is kind of the claim that we're making that our students will know these things, uh, and that's where all of the different, like I mentioned, all the habits of mind they they, they fall underneath that. So uh, think about this big branching tree of concepts that fall out of these big, um, big concepts. Yeah, absolutely. So talk more about the kind of hands on nature of, of this whole thing, too. And to, I guess, be learning these concepts, not just from going to to class on, uh, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but you know, you guys are sending, uh, aside from the first year in San Francisco, which I mean, a lot of the students are not from San Francisco. So I'm sure there's plenty that the city of San Francisco can offer these students as well. But from that point forward, years two through four, they're going to a different city in the world every single semester. I assume that that's not just so that they can take awesome photos and really have an, like, an awesome time. I imagine that there's some sort of like actual technical component, like ways that you guys are using these cities to to help illustrate these lessons that you guys are giving these kids. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the things that we promote, I mean, one of the one of the parts I didn't really mention so far is that we try to make Minerva much more affordable. And one of the ways we do that is by eliminating the campus. And so what we do is we substitute the cities that you're in as your campus. So we want those to be the places where you where you learn and interact. And of course, we're trying to develop, um, you know, students who engage globally, who understand and are able to thrive in a different global context. And so they need to have experience in those different places. So along with the academics, we do set up experiences for students in each of the cities that they're in. So they're both academic experiences. So these are directly tied to the academics. And then also things that are just you know, maybe just interesting, maybe something that somebody would be interested in uh, just, you know, from a, a learning about that city's past and, and interacting there. But it also could be, um, it also could be something that helps develop their skills or helps them learn whatever's sort of unique about that city. So like if you're in San Francisco, there are certain aspects of it, particularly now you have kind of a, a tech boom. So how do you learn about that tech boom in San Francisco and the Bay Area? And how do you then take that and kind of like fold it into your own experience? Yeah. Such an awesome thing for you guys to be thinking about. I, I imagine you guys are probably thinking about that more than any than like San Francisco State is or like University of San Francisco. You know, like it, it's interesting that you guys, this outsider university, will be thinking of how to use a city probably more than than other schools that are within these cities already. Right. Well, it's kind of a weakness and we turn that weakness into a strength, right? Like you could look at what we've done and say, well, that must be tough not having a campus. Like, how do you survive without having all these different things? Like your students don't have meal plans and they don't have, you know, they, you know, they don't have sports teams to go cheer for. and They're not cloistered off on their own campus where they can have all this social space to hang out. And, you know, it, you could look at it that way or for the right kind of person. Actually, what you want is not to be 
you know, tucked away in this thing, but instead you want to be out there experiencing the world. And so we take, we take that on as actually a strength. Um, it's great, man. And I know that your first graduating class has not graduated yet, but I assume that they're going to be situated so well. And it's like, it's just, man, I wish, I wish this was around back when I was looking at schools and everything. Uh, cause I feel like the the kids that are part of your university are a going to have had like the most incredible experience over the like if you talk to anyone that studied abroad while they were in college like there's a hundred percent chance that that was like their best year of school you know and that they will recommend that anyone study abroad so you're providing that opportunity to these kids for four years straight and then there's the piece of when they graduate i feel like you know, doubters or whatever could say, oh, well, it's it's not traditional enough. So maybe or, you know, the name brand Minerva doesn't mean a whole lot right now. So, you know, I, I don't know if that degree is going to carry as much weight. My argument to that. <laughs> so I'm not even going to ask you to argue that for you. Like my argument to that would be like the way that, that, that I feel like people at companies so much go after people who are um, like veterans in the army and stuff like that because it's like you assume that there's this level of discipline that people that were in the army have or a lot of companies that are in sales for instance go after people who uh were previously in sports because again like for the for the sake of discipline and for the sake of the fact that these people are goal oriented because they were in sports i feel like when your first class graduates and you start churning out these graduating classes, there's going to be this extra piece for that, like this extra thing for the companies that hire them, that they kind of know what type of person they're hiring. You know, there's like an extra reward for these hiring companies. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely true. And I mean, people who are able to fluently deal with different global contexts, that's pretty rare to have someone who has already this much international experience by the time they're, you know, just in their early 20s graduating, unless you're very, 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 very privileged, right? Uh, most people don't get the opportunity to travel around the entire world. And not only that, but they're not traveling as tourists, right? We're very much kind of pushing them to be a part of the city that they're in and feel like they're living there and a part of it. So uh, that by itself, right? Like if that was, if we did nothing but that, that would still be super valuable. Um, and then, you know, everything else is, <laughs> it, there's a lot more on top of that. The fact that Minerva was created, I feel like is probably a reaction to something. And I've talked a little bit with other guests on the show about, you know, problems with probably the current education model um, in the United States or in the entire world and how it just, I don't feel like it makes that much sense anymore, um, to have like the, the education model as it currently sits. What was, I guess, the onus for the creation of Minerva? Was it a reaction to that? Was it just like, oh, let's just shake things up and do something fun? Or was it like, look, this education system is archaic. Um, we need to fix it and do something better. Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was more sort of the last piece. We need to fix it. I mean, if you talk to Ben Nelson, who's the founder, he had really specific goals around what Minerva could and should be. And it's definitely in large part a reaction to the existing system. So there are lots and lots and lots of problems. I think some of the core problems are that, for example, the actual idea of a curriculum and uh pedagogy that's fueled by the science of learning has sort of disappeared, right? We're still learning the same way we've learned forever. The finding your place in the world, it seems like a lot of 
the universities are very insular and sort of inward looking and they don't necessarily help students, particularly um, international students, uh, which is one thing we haven't really touched on, um, who want an uh, American education. They don't really cater to that market. Um, they're very expensive. Uh, that's another thing. Uh, most, you know, the you know the cost of a university education has continued to go up, uh, way outpacing inflation. There are a bunch of different issues that <laughs> that need to be resolved. But I think um, one maybe meta point to be made too is that it's not as if one system has to come in and wipe out the old system completely. Uh, a point to be made is there are lots of different models that should be allowed to thrive and compete with each other. So, you know, Minerva proposes one way of doing things. The sort of traditional model is still out there. And there are many other models, right? You have people learning just online on their own. You have people who are taking sort of a mix of small um, courses and credentials, you know, and mixing them together, not through one institution, but through several. So I think there are lots of different models and you know, our idea is hopefully we can come up with something that's great that other people, if they like and think works, that they can borrow and use and uh, just sort of helps overall the landscape of education around the world. What do you think are the key things that were and are lacking in traditional education that were kind of aimed to be fixed by Minerva? Yeah, I mean, I think the the core parts are cost uh, in general is just way, way, way too expensive to get that education. You can deliver that same level of education for a lot cheaper. That would be one major piece. Um, another major piece is just a total failure of actually instituting any sort of curriculum. So the idea of a real liberal arts education where you're able to, at the end of it, say, I have a strong grasp of you know, X, Y, and Z. So we talked a little bit about like creative thinking, uh, communicating effectively, that kind of stuff. Um, without a actually well-designed and thought through curriculum, you're not going to be able to convincingly tell anyone that you've, that you've delivered on that promise. So that's another piece that for whatever reason seems to be missing from modern universities. Um, and then the other thing is just applying what we know about educating people to the pedagogy. And that's something that for whatever reason, again, um, a lot of modern universities aren't doing. And when I say applying the science of learning, this is like basic, basic stuff. So active learning, making sure that people are engaged in the class, not having big lectures that we know people are not going to, we know they're not going to master that information. They're not going to retain it. They're not going to be able to transfer it to the rest of their life. Uh, why do it in a way that we know doesn't work? There are better known ways. It's not like we're innovating here. We're just taking what already works and just implementing it. Yeah, Absolutely. Let's talk about these kids for a little bit. So how many students were, were in the first class that signed up for this? And, uh, and when was that? And then like, how, did you, how did you market to these students? Like, how did you get your first students? Sure. So I wasn't around at the time, but I, I've certainly met these students. And I think they're all pretty pioneering, uh, pretty pioneering students. And so there were about 30 members of the founding class. Um, and... 14, we put out the call for applications and a bunch of people applied. A very small number of them were accepted, a super small acceptance rate. But I think the thing that attracted these students was a couple things. One was that they would get to participate in building a university from scratch. They identified with some of the stuff we already talked about. So the fact that it was different, it was geared toward actually being an effective education, uh, things like that. And I think for a lot of these students, they I mean, just from the ones that I know, I don't want to talk for everybody in the founding class, but it seems like they come to Minerva with this idea that 
I want to be in control of my education and I want to be a part of something like of this mission of building something that's going to outlast me. Right. That's one of the reasons we even gave them the sort of title as a class, as, as you know, the founding class. Like they have a lot of special privileges because their impact is probably going to be the greatest of any class who ever goes through Minerva. Oh, for sure. What a perfect kind of um, match. Like what, what a what a perfect way for for the students to get what they need but for you guys as a university to get exactly what you need as well um like you were saying that the that the students that are going to even apply to be the original students to begin with are going to be the exact type of students that you would be looking for it's like all of your ideal students basically right right and i think one thing that um to point out is that you know we obviously want to select the best students and we want the best students to select us as well it's not Minerva as an experience is very challenging. Living around the world is very challenging. It It's not always easy. And so it's not for everyone, right? It's not the sort of feel good, all of your needs taken care of type place, but for the right person with, you know, where there's the right fit, it's, it's perfect. So now let me ask you about that a little bit, because I... The in the traditional education system, the way that you get into a good school, the the foundational way that you get into a good school is by having a great GPA. Then the, probably the second thing on the list would be to have good SAT scores. Then the third thing on the list would be like extracurricular stuff. And if you had a 3.0 and you were the captain of the football team and like gave your time to charity and wrote an amazing essay you are not getting into berkeley you are not getting into stanford it doesn't like nobody cares that you were the captain of the football team and the fact that you gave all your time to charity you cannot overcome that 3.0 it's just not going to happen for you um what is that like for for you guys? Because you, I, I feel like, you know, A, you guys are trying to do something so different with education to begin with and are viewing education in a different way. But B, um, if you want these kind of unique, special kids, not every unique, special kid is going to just be, uh, you know, getting a 4.0 in high school because, you know, they just care about books so much. Yeah, I, I would say, though, academics are still definitely important to Minerva. And one thing that's a bit of a challenge. So if we want to talk about the application process and sort of requirements, certainly we are not looking for the same kinds of things that other universities are looking for. That being said, I think academics are still you know, core to what we're doing. It, it is an intellectual venture and showing past achievements, uh, showing your possibilities in that area are, are certainly important. That being said, we also evaluate uh, in our ac ac according to our own uh, metrics and our own evaluation. So we don't, for example, take standardized tests. We have our own tests that we deliver through the application that we run ourselves. So, so you definitely have, it, have an opportunity to go to Minerva, even if, for example, um, you wouldn't fit the sort of standard model. Mm, interesting because you guys have your own test that you guys value so highly that if you if some kid applied that only had like a 2.8 or a 3.0 or something but then they just like scored through the roof on your test it'd be like at the very least like let's talk to this kid and find out why he only has a 2.8 because he just scored through the roof on our test yeah exactly i mean i think what we're looking for is if you had a really good reason for why that was true um, then we're definitely open to talking to you. Interesting. That's cool, man. So 
who were these first kids that signed up in terms of demographics? Like, where were they from and what age were they? Was everyone of normal, um, like, early college age? Like, they were in their late teens and early 20s? For the most part, yeah. We do have a few older and a few younger, so we don't necessarily have a particular age. But because we are modeled, I mean, we are uh, in some ways modeled on the American university system, we sort of – the way we're built is – in that way, fairly standard. So we would expect most students to be joining Minerva after having completed high school. Although some people have taken time off. Some people have, you know, we have a, a large group of international students. 80% of our students are international. So potentially they've either been in the army or done other things. We also have a fairly high rate of transfer students. These are people who have already started university somewhere else and been a little bit frustrated with their experience and then looked for an alternative. So that might be why we were particularly attractive. So for that reason, I think we might skew a little bit on the older side than your standard college. But for the most part, it's about what you would expect. Okay, cool. Interesting. How about um, the original faculty? Do you guys hire faculty that live in the country that you guys are sending students to or since everything's basically online like classes wise are you do you guys just have like all your professors based out of san francisco or like wherever in the world it doesn't really matter where they're based it doesn't really matter where they're based that's one of the great things about hiring faculty we can really hire the best people for the job time zones do matter so that's one thing that um, it is helpful to have people at least in the same time zone as where the students are. Otherwise, that can be pretty challenging. Uh, we don't want people waking up in the middle of the night to teach. It's probably not an ideal, <laughs> not an ideal situation for the students. But yeah, yeah no, I mean, we, we're able to access a, a very large pool of faculty and, and we have a, an unbelievable faculty. And then do you guys also have at least a faculty member or I guess just some sort of um, employee i get like in the in the cities that these kids are going to like when they um go to berlin or is there someone there in berlin for them or, or is there a teacher in berlin oh yeah no we definitely have staff in all of the cities that we're in so we have uh both people who are in charge of you know directors of the city so they're in charge of making sure overall everything's running smoothly but we also have people who live with the students so we have people in the residences with them and then also like i mentioned because each location has its own unique set of experiences and um, uh, different activities that we want students to do we have people who help set that up ahead of time and then run that for the students so um, there is there is quite a lot that has to happen in each city and, and we do need staff there to enable that to happen yeah yeah and then what sorts of degrees do you guys offer? Is it one of these things where it's like we uh, it's just like a liberal arts degree and that's it? Or are there like actual specific degrees? Um, so you can major in a variety of majors. They're fairly standard um, things like uh, uh, the arts and humanities, natural sciences, computational sciences. Um, and then from there, you can concentrate further. The specific degree, I believe, is just a, a a bachelor of liberal arts degree. Um, we are, since we are a fully accredited university um, and just sort of, if, if from that perspective, you're getting kind of like a, a standard bachelor degree from a, a accredited American university. Right, right. And then do you guys offer a master's as well or is there any plan for that? Yeah, so we're in, in the process of, uh, we have one current class of master's students. It's an invitation only program because we're just getting it off the ground. But oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting, interesting program, but it's, it's in, 
basically decision-making science, which is <laughs> kind of something that's interesting. It really takes basically the curriculum that our freshmen learn. So every freshman takes the same four courses, and those correspond to the kind of four concepts that I mentioned earlier that we want everybody to graduate having mastered. But uh, that master's degree takes that curriculum and turns it into this uh, more at a master's appropriate level program that helps people who are obviously later stage. So uh, having already graduated college, probably working professional type people. Yeah, for sure. Man, it's so cool the different things that you guys are doing for these bachelor students and and the master's students, I would imagine as well. It's it, it just struck me of what an interesting thing it is because I feel like a lot of universities are are kind of realizing that things need to maybe be more like quote unquote hands on or like experience based, you know. But I feel like they're they're kind of like shackled by their history and their building and like the way just the way that things have always been there you know it's it's so hard to make these changes um and it's like you you guys are are really actually able to do this thing that that lots of other people are kind of trying to do you know yeah i think i think that's a that's a good point there is a lot of institutional inertia and once you've sort of built something, it becomes hard to change. I think people kind of get stuck in their ways. And one thing that I hope that we can do is not just make all these changes ourselves. Like I'm, I'm glad we're doing this, but what would be a really cool outcome of Minerva is not just that Minerva is successful. Obviously, I uh, am excited for Minerva and everything that we're doing. But I would love if we could you know, if we could influence some of these universities that have had a hard time changing and we could help them make some changes. Because it's not an all or nothing thing. Uh, like take just the active learning part of what we're doing. We're happily sharing anything we learn about how to best implement active learning. Uh, we're happy to share that with other universities. And, and ideally that can sort of permeate into the sort of general education world and people can take what works for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about the i guess difficulty and like the interesting tasks and challenges involved with starting a university like i i just feel like what a bizarre thing to be starting in the year i, I know you said it was founded in 2012 but your first class wasn't until what 2014 was 2014 the yeah yeah like it just what an incredible thing to even think about of like how how does that look like starting a university basically in the year 2014 like what sorts of legal and technical things do you have to do to be able to start a university what sort of like extra things do you guys have to worry about that let's say like university of arizona where i went probably does not have to worry about because they're not every semester sending kids to a different country in the world and having to worry about you know all the ins and outs that go along with that yeah absolutely there are obviously a lot of challenges starting anything new ever is hard enough um let alone starting something as complex as a university so universities are actually made up of lot of a lot of smaller pieces and each one of those pieces is actually a pretty massive undertaking unto itself so you could think about just the admissions process as an entire world that by on its own would be hard enough let alone you also have to develop the curriculum and all of the academics like you mentioned, all of the travel piece of it too, um, all of that together means that it's incredibly complex. A few of the sort of major challenges that we've run into getting accredited at all 
that was a huge challenge. Yeah, um, like I that's I don't even begin to I can't even begin to wrap my head around that. <laughs> to be like, "Oh, I know. I'm going to start a university." Like, how do you do anything but just like print out a sheet of paper and say like, "Here you go. This is your degree." Like, how does that piece of paper mean anything? Right. So there are a series of uh, to be accredited, to be an accredited uh, university accredited institution in the United States, you have to pass, you know, you have to pass a bunch of tests. There are accrediting bodies. You have to be compliant with all of their rules and regulations. There are a bunch of legal issues that you have to deal with. So all of that kind of feeds into um, essentially a bunch of costs and constraints for us. And there are things that we're trying to deal with as efficiently and, and as well as we can. But obviously it's Anything of this magnitude and this size is, is hard to do, even just just the visa component alone, because we're so international, both in the students that we accept and also given that we're traveling from city to city. You can imagine the just the immigration and sort of visa aspects are uh, potentially nightmarish. Yeah, for sure. Have you guys ever run into an issue um, where either the the relations or whatever it is between like one person's country and the country where you were planning on sending someone is not that great and maybe d does that does that thought process have to go into you guys deciding what what countries and cities you guys are even going to go to in the first place yeah i mean that definitely plays a big role that being said you can never predict sort of geopolitical landscapes always changing and there are always going to be surprises. So um, that's definitely, definitely an issue. It definitely is a consideration. We're trying to pick sort of the best cities that will complement our educational mission and give our students the best possible experience. But of course, we have to be super sensitive to we want to be inclusive of all of our students. So we don't want to go anywhere that would potentially exclude some students based on what country they're from, what religion they are or anything like that. Could so you imagine? That, uh, just be awful. Well, I mean, and we've had recently, right? There are a lot of uh, a, a lot of recent issues that certainly uh, make this uh, a lot more timely of a of a subject. So it's yeah. something that we definitely have to we definitely have to consider. Wow, I did not think about that at all until right now. That is insane, um, man. Yeah, what a weird thing that you guys have to contend with now. Did you guys have to have some sort of like big meeting after the election? Yeah. So this is. Uh, <laughs> It, it, it's uh, it's something that's been ongoing. We've it's been both kind of formal meetings and also just like everybody has to think about what are the implications across the world, right? It it's not just what's happening in the United States, but what does that mean? What are the ripple effects out into the world, both from a like economic perspective? It could also, you know, what if international students are less excited about coming to an American university, or what if American students are less excited about traveling around the world, right? Both of those things. And then of course, obviously with the, the visa situations, like we send students to Berlin and right before we did that, well, not right before, but, uh, you know, there was a, a major refugee issue in Germany and in Berlin in particular, there were a lot of challenges around, you know, public sentiment was against uh, letting a lot more people into the country. And so getting visas was particularly challenging because mm. of the refugee crisis. Like those are the kinds of things that will pop up and, and really make life hard for us. Yeah, it's interesting. There's there's kind of these ebbs and flows of different kind of socio-political things in the world. And it seems to, that there's a bit of this like wave right now of like nationalism throughout the world, you know, like it, what an interesting thing to be trying to do what you guys are doing um, while that's happening. Yeah. I mean, in some ways we stand in contrast to that, right? Like our, right. our entire premise, we're built on the idea that we 
as a global community need to sort of learn from each other, uh, respect each other. We want to be able to have and facilitate this sort of rational discourse around the world. Yeah, and open uh, our boundaries to each other. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, that that is the foundation on which Minerva is built. And so some of these uh, some of these movements, some of this sort of recent um, uh, shuffling around the world in terms of regime change and cracking down on uh, expression and and sort of liberal ideas and liberal thought. Those obviously we stand in opposition to to that kind of stuff. And it's it's a it's it's a challenge to look out in the world and say like what's what is tomorrow going to bring and how do we how do we face that like how do we help our students face that and how do we ourselves face that so what are some of the contingency plans for that is it basically just needing to be very particular with the countries that you're choosing yeah i think that's part of it i think we're also fairly flexible like i mentioned because of the structure of the university we're able to adapt as we need to i mean even up to having to if we needed to change a city we can you know we can do that so um, obviously there are some limits to that, like, um, but, but for the most part, I think we just try to be as adaptable as possible. And we try to work within the constraints that we're given. Obviously we would never, like I mentioned, we would never put people in any sort of danger if we could, it, it, that we could prevent. Um, and so that's the, the main overriding concern, but within that, right. Part of what it means to engage globally is to understand that there are these different points of view. How do we deal with those? Like that's part of the education, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lawrence, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, man? What made you want to do this? Like, what were you doing before? And then you came over to Minerva. Was that uh, just like, hey, it's another job, or was it like I really would like to to work with this mission and to to help kind of reform education? Yeah, I was. I definitely had this idea of wanting to make an impact in education. I wasn't exactly sure where that impact would be. I, I have a background in computer science. I actually moved up to the Bay Area specifically to, to work on this problem. I felt like there were a lot of people who were interested in making some changes in the world of education. And this was the place to be. I, I had seen things like Khan Academy and Udacity and some of these other what seemed like pretty interesting startups start to pop up. And so I, I wanted to I wanted to be a part of that. And um, I actually was working at Microsoft before this as a product manager and ended up through a friend, a chance encounter, uh, a friend actually through a gym that I'm uh, a member of. Um, he introduced me to Minerva. I had actually already heard of it, but he gave me a sort of personal introduction. Uh, and that's, that's how this got started. But it was something that I had been interested for a long time. Um, yeah. What's been the best part about working there so far for you? I would say the best part about working at Minerva is just that when you're starting something from scratch, that means that you get to make a lot of decisions about how things are structured, how things are built. And a lot of the decisions that were made in the past that have been solidified in in other places, right? You can in many in many cases you can fix those. In some cases, you're you find why they made those decisions, and sometimes they actually made more sense than you realized uh, until you make the same mistake they did. But in many cases, I feel like you get to you get to make a incredibly uh, profound mark on what this place is going to be, right? So we're so young, but hopefully, fifty or a hundred or five hundred years in the future, people are going to be you know, learning via this sort of Minerva concept. And, you know, it's pretty cool to be a part of that early on. Yeah. And what a cool, you're not a father, are you? You, I know you just got married, so. 
No, not yet. Not yet. Okay, cool. So yeah, what a cool thing to to get to know these kids. Like you said, you've gotten to know them and they're all so unique and so cool. It'll be so interesting to get to see the things that they go out and do taking this like very unique skill set that you guys are providing them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's the thing that we're most excited about, honestly, is right. In some ways, this is an experiment. And the only way we're going to see the results of that experiment is when we see what our students go out and do in the world, right? That they're successful in the classroom is totally irre- not irrelevant, but it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, what really matters is what they do after. So it, it's going to be incredibly exciting to see. Yeah, yeah. All right, Lawrence, let's go ahead and wind this thing down, man. If you could give us some advice, I would love to know what you, I feel like you must have such an inside track into like the world of learning now and just looking at the way that people learn and how they learn. What have you, I guess, kind of learned about learning from working for Minerva that you would give people um, advice about in terms of like picking up a new skill or, or just trying to learn anything new? Sure. Yeah. There are a couple of things that I had sort of known before, but I feel like have, I've really deepened my understanding of, or, or really understand the importance of now. And one of those things is understanding curriculum. So one of the challenges that people have is that they want to go learn something or do something and they, they, they just start kind of working in a kind of random pattern. Like they'll go do a little bit of this over here and a little bit of that over there without a very structured approach. I feel like you're really wasting your time. And there is a huge value in having an expert in curriculum of whatever field you're trying to learn, put something together for you. So when you take a course that someone's actually thought through and put together for you. When you read a book that someone has thoughtfully crafted with, you know, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, when you have a coach that instead of just saying, okay, go do this, go do that. Like if if you actually have a coach, instead of just going to the gym on your own, that kind of thing, I feel like that makes a huge difference and is super underrated. Absolutely. And what was the other thing that you were going to say? You said a couple things. Sure. So, I mean, I, I think that's one of the, one of the major ones. I think the other thing is sort of, it kind of goes two ways. One is uh, the the application of whatever it is you're learning to other fields uh, is critical, and also sort of the the deep understanding of whatever it is you're learning is critical. So, kind of this this understanding of mastery as both a very profound understanding of a particular topic. Uh, so, being able to sort of at a moment's notice think about this: like you've not only memorized you know, whatever it is there is to know about this particular topic, but you can speak deeply about it. You can teach other people. And then importantly, if you can take that and then apply it to different contexts. So if you can take a concept like, um, I don't know, uh, like the scientific method, um, and you can see how not only that applies in a sort of a chemistry context, but you can see how you could apply that in your own personal life. And you could also see how that applies in, you know, in something totally different, like, you know, uh, building a new feature for a software product, right? Um, if you can apply a particular concept in another, in another domain or another field, I think that that's, that's hugely important, but understanding that that's what mastery is and having a real definition of it versus saying, well, I read a book on this thing, therefore I know it, right? Like you should have sort of a rubric or a sort of an understanding of, um, maybe a deeper understanding of what it means to actually learn and know something. 
So Lawrence, please tell us where we can go to check out information about Minerva. And then please tell us how many students you guys will be accepting to your next class and uh, about when you guys are looking to do that and when you guys are taking applications. I know I have some high school age kids listening to the show that are probably really interested in this. Yeah. So the best place to learn about Minerva is our, is our website and that's uh, www.minerva.kgi.edu. So go there and check it out. We have a bunch of information about what we do, how it works. As far as how many students we would accept, this is actually an interesting question. There is a bar you have to pass in order to get into Minerva, but it's not competitive. In other words, we will accept as many students as are as, as meet our bar for admission. So there's not a specific class size. We're not going to cap out so we're selective, but not competitive. Okay, so so long as people meet these requirements, then they will get in. Then that's that. Yeah, and so it is, like I mentioned, it is it is very selective, but if you do make the cut, you're definitely in. So you're not competing against anyone. There's no reason to not, for example, apply with your best friend because only one <laughs> yeah. can make it in, right? Like, it's not like you don't should... tell your really smart friend because they might yeah, make it exactly. in instead of you. Like you, you want to tell everybody because, and we do definitely have cases of uh, of people applying together and getting in. And, and, you know, it's great to be able to to come to college with, with your friends. But um, yeah, so that that's actually a really interesting aspect of what we're doing. We're very flexible as far as, uh, given our model, number of students that we can take. Um, in terms of when, we're currently in the process of filling up our, uh, or not filling up, but accepting applications for the next uh, next matriculation of fall, fall 2017. And that's going to continue all the way through, basically through April. So uh, go to the website put in an application. You can check out our application and it's uh, pretty pretty interesting, pretty fun. It's actually, I would say it's kind of fun. It's pretty different from your standard standard application. You're, you're certainly not putting in your SAT scores. So, Okay, cool, man. That all sounds so awesome. Lawrence, thank you so much for all the info. Thank you for the great uh, discussion on education and everything. We really appreciate it. And um, if any of us are young enough to check it out, I'm sure we will be. It sounds so cool, man. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Blake. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you told a friend about it to help spread the word about the show. And if you've been listening to the show for a little while and been enjoying yourself, I would really appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes. That's a way that a lot of people learn about new podcasts. And the more reviews and the better reviews that a podcast gets, the more people that that podcast ends up in front of. So that would be a really awesome way to help the show. And if you're sitting there and thinking to yourself, yeah, that's all fine and good, Blake, but uh, what are you going to do to help me out? Well, how about being a guest on Half Hour Intern? That is right. You could totally be a guest on this show. So if you have been sitting there listening to this show and thinking to yourself, you know what? I do this totally awesome thing for a living. Or you know what? I have this awesome hobby that I'm really, really passionate about and I would love to tell people about it. Go to halfhourintern.com and click on the Submit Your Ideas link at the top of the page. And through there, there will be forms that you can fill out to get in touch with me about the possibility of coming on the show and being a guest yourself on the Half Hour Intern Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening.